0: This is Crucial Tech, a podcast about the technology that affects us all, but few of us understand, presented in a format that can give you some basic understanding and the time it takes to drive for the grocery store. I'm Luke Hevy, an independent journalist who's been writing about various technologies ranging from renewable energy to digital security for more than 40 years. I probably know more about it than you do, and if I don't, I will introduce you to those who do. On this episode of Crucial Tech, we're going to be talking a little bit about... No, we're go- we're not going to talk a little bit. We're going to just focus on the idea of surviving and thriving during a pandemic. And the first issue I wanted to talk about was contact tracing. Uh, a lot of people don't know what that is. A lot of people do. Uh, but we're not exactly sure how we go about it. So here's why I, why I wanted to make this particular subject. There was an article that was in uh, the the LA Times uh, on May 17th about a a spread of coronavirus during a church service. Now, in Butte County, there was a a Pentecostal church who, well, the pastor decided to defy the state mandate to not have services and went ahead and had a Mother's Day service. And what happened was, is one of the congregants came in and they were asymptomatic. And so they thought everything was fine. And so they came to church and the next morning woke up and ended up having to go to the hospital because she came down with the COVID-19 symptoms, full blown. Which means, because everybody in Pentecostal churches is huggy and gets together and touches people. Well, they ended up all being exposed to it. So by going through the process of saying, no, theologically, we need to be together in this particular building at this particular time, all together at one time, we need to defy what science is telling us. Now, to give you some background, uh, I am a Bible scholar. I am also a student of... uh, Bible history and American history, and I'm also deeply versed in technology and how things should can be done, what, what can be accomplished with this technology. That's the whole point of the, this podcast. And I can say categorically that there's nothing in the Bible or any theology that says you have to be in a specific building on a specific day with a specific group of people to properly worship. You do if you, have to, if you want to collect money on it, but you don't have to do that. And anyone who says differently doesn't know what they're talking about. And that's where we have this problem where people will just do stupid things thinking it's okay or that God is telling them to do it. Well, I want to tell you right now, this situation is wrong. And this is what makes the whole issue of contact tracing so very difficult, but at the same time, so very important. Let's talk about what that is. Um, we've all seen television shows and movies where one of the characters contracts a venereal disease and the doctor sits them down and says, OK, you have a venereal disease. Do you? How many partners have you had within the past time frame? And you may have contracted it from them or you may have given it to them. And so that person has to have the embarrassing task of going out and finding all the person that they had sex with and letting them know they may need to get tested for a venereal disease. That's a very simple way of doing it. Now, there's a movie called Contagion where a a hemorrhagic fever breaks out in a small Northern California community, and the whole place gets locked down, and they have to find the source of the infection, Because once they find that source of the infection, then they can isolate the virus and they can deal with it. But to do that, they had to trace back to how many people had it, when they got it, how they got it, who they got it from, and then move it all the way back. And in the movie, it turns out it came from a monkey that some fool decided to bring back from a trip to Africa and got loose in the woods outside of this community. And be, in, if they hadn't been able to find that monkey and isolate the virus and create a, a, a serum for it, then they were going to have to nuke the entire town just to stop the infection. That's why, that's, that's a, a broader level of doing contact tracing for the benefit of a community and to stop the spread. But again, we t- went from a handful of people with a venereal disease, to a small town in Northern California that was infected. What we're talking about now is millions of people potentially infected, more than a million that we know definitely are, and tens of thousands of people who have died. That makes a manual approach to contact tracing extremely difficult, if not impossible. So. Uh, about a month ago, uh, both Google and Apple announced that they were going to be building uh, developer kits for communities, states, municipalities, what it, businesses, where they, c- they can build an app to do contact tracing. That seemed to be a good idea, but it turns out that Apple and Google didn't actually want to share the actual data. And there's a reason for that. And I've I've talked about this in previous podcasts and and articles that they are collecting a lot more data than you realize. And it's not that they're doing it to follow you or to eavesdrop on you. What they're trying to do is figure out better ways to sell you stuff. And that's okay. That's how, how we've come to understand that. But at the same time, they don't want to know, uh, want us to know how invasive it is. And when you're walking around with your mobile devices, you have technology in them in the form of near-field communications and Bluetooth that talk to each, each of these devices. And sometimes we give them permission to actually talk to the person who owns it or to connect with, say, a, a Wi-Fi network or whatever. And that's okay, too, but even though we may not necessarily okay the the connection, the reality is that it's still collecting that data. Even if you don't have this, the app working, like on Facebook, if you don't have the, the app working on your phone, they can they can still trace it, which is one of the reasons I got rid of the Facebook app on my, my portable devices. So they're tracing us. All the time. Even if you turn off your phone, there's enough power for them to trace you. Where you are. What direction you're going in. Who you're meeting with. All these things. They can trace it. They have that data. They don't really want to admit that. And in order to build a proper app to do contact tracing, we have to eliminate the human Filter for it. Now the apps that are that are being built by the states, by corporations, by municipalities, some of some are using this stuff. Uh, other uh, others are making their own, and it doesn't really work well because all the apps do is let you know that you have come in contact with someone who has admitted on their device that they have been in contact with somebody who might have COVID-19. So they could be a carrier. But they don't tell you who, and they don't tell you when, and they don't tell you where. Just says, you better go get tested. So I guess that's something, but it's not enough to be able to trace it down where the original infection came from. Now, uh, these municipalities are also finding out it's possible to uh, screen poop, Uh, the effluent that comes through uh, into a sewage treatment plant out from your toilet, and each sewage treatment plant knows where stuff comes from, okay? So they can test that effluent and say, yes, the virus is in this effluent. So they know basically geographically where the virus might have come from. I live in Friendly Acres in Redwood City, California. I know exactly where our, our sewage treatment plant is, so they could test to see if Friendly Acres people, have, if there, there's a bloom of the COVID-19 virus here in our neighborhood. Um, it's still not enough, but it's the best we can do. So my thing is, even though I'm concerned about privacy, uh, and Privacy really isn't a thing when you're in a community. Thousands of years ago, when when mankind started forming into communities in in, in the form of villages, there was no privacy. Everyone knew what you were doing. Everyone knew who you were doing it with. Uh, We developed the idea of privacy in the United States from people like the mountain men who decided they wanted to go beyond the barriers of civilization, and do their own thing. And we all think in America that we're mountain men, but we're not. If we live in a city, if we live anywhere close to other people, we're living in a community. Uh, And thanks to social media, there is no privacy. There are no real secrets. We can find out anything we want. And while it's good that the tech companies, Facebook, Apple, Google, whatever, are protecting that data supposedly from bad people. They really aren't because they are selling that data and that data is being distributed throughout the world, even to bad people. So to say that they don't want to do it because they want to protect us is kind of a ridiculous issue. And in this particular case, we need to be protected from the people that have the virus and the people that have the virus need to know they have it. So this may kind of mess with your minds a little bit. But in this particular time, we have to do a trade-off between privacy that might kill us and transparency that will save us. And contact tracing is one of the three things that we have to do in order to get past this time. If that church in Northern California had decided okay, we're going to continue on with this until the things that we need to do are done, then we can reopen. If they had waited for good contact tracing, if they had waited for testing to be available, those two things, just by themselves, and practice social distancing, wearing masks, washing your hands, well, we could all open up quicker. But the thing is, you've got to have 100% participation in this. And if you don't, there's always a chance that it can kick up again. And that's, what it, that's exactly what happened here. They defied the mandate to be safe. And now 180 people could become sick because of what this one pastor decided to do. That's not good. There are some trade-offs we have to make. There are some inconveniences we have to accept. But being inconvenienced is not taking away your rights. It's it's saving the rights to life for other people. So that's what I want to go for on here. That's part one. Part two, let's talk about something a little bit more fun. In this time, we are all using uh, various forms of technology to communicate with each other. And the big thing has been using Zoom. Uh, I use Zoom. I use Skype. I use Google Rooms, Facebook Rooms, all, all these different things. I will use them to connect with other people. But we've also heard that there are security issues that come down to using these things. So here's something to think about. Zoom wasn't necessarily at fault for the the issue of Zoom bombing and the security holes that popped up because there are ways to connect or to, to use Zoom that make you safer. People just decided not to activate them. It was Zoom's fault for not letting everyone know what they were, but you should be like me. When you get a new application, you should check out the security features. And you should dial them up to 11, and then super glue the dial at 11 so you don't bring them down again. So I just wanted to tell you some of the things that you can do to make sure your Zoom meeting doesn't get hacked. And number one, you got to create a unique ID for each public Zoom call. Um, When you schedule your Zoom meeting, you got to look into the meeting ID options. And then what you want to do is choose to generate uh, the meeting ID automatically. And that plugs the biggest hole, because only people who have that meeting ID can get in. Now, that doesn't solve the, the entire problem, because Somebody might be able to get a hold of a meeting ID that you have. Uh, I have a couple of meeting IDs that stay the same no matter what. Uh, but there's a very specific group of people that I that I invite to it. And that's one of the second things you can do. You can create an invite-only meeting. So only people who can join the call are those who, who inv- you invited. And they must sign in using the same email address that you use to invite them. Another thing you can do is to uh, create a meeting room, and now that makes it a little bit annoying because you as the host have to keep an eye on when those people actually start showing up. But the thing is, that way you can make sure that the people who are coming in are the people that need to be there. You can see when they show up and you should and you, you can bring them into the room you can also set it in such a way that their camera and their microphone are not turned on when they come in so that you could you can tur- turn on their, their camera and microphone for them so you can see who they really are and then you can you can leave them in and if it turns that they're not who they are you can kick them out Another thing you can do is require a meeting password. Now, I don't necessarily do this for my friends groups, but I do, uh, and I don't do it for uh, one-on-one interviews that I do, but I do require for general meetings on a business level. Everyone needs to have the password to get in. Very simple thing to do, and the passwords are not kept. So that's something you you can do. Um, Once the meeting starts, You can lock it out. So that means people who show up late may not be able to get in. And maybe that's a good thing. If they show up and they can't get into the meeting and they really need to be in the meeting, well, it's on them for not showing up on time. They can send you a text and say, I'd really like to come in and another invitation can be sent. But that's a way to control what's going on. And then uh, a couple of other things. You can disable private chat so that you can't have people in there that are harassing others. And you can prevent animated GIFs and other files in the chat itself, which is what the Zoom bombing is, is that when you're sitting there and and you've got the chat uh, window open and people start sending pornographic uh, files to everyone. Okay, just don't allow that to happen. You can... Give people the right to show the screen, but you need to maintain that transparency. And that's what I wanted to talk about, uh, about using technology and why it's important to use it properly during this time. Uh, I want you to stay stay safe out there. Stay home as long as you can. If you can work from home, home, do it. Uh, Order out. uh, I I personally recommend DoorDash and uh, uh, ChowHound. Uh, for for uh, getting deliveries, uh, simply because they um, they don't they don't steal from the the restaurants with outrageous um, uh, fees, and the profits can stay in the in the in the restaurants. That's a good thing. So that's so support the idea of contact tracing and testing, and staying safe. Use your technology safely. And let's get out of this together as soon as we possibly can. And don't ruin it for everyone else. So this has been Lou Covey with Crucial Tech. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. And as always, we are open to comments and questions on the Anchor.fm app. Uh, You can actually record your question. And if it's interesting enough or you come up with a good idea, I could end up making you a star. If you're a company out there with some interesting technology, love to hear about it. Uh, We could talk about that, too. Uh, Coming up in the next few days is going to be an interview with a futurist about artificial intelligence and the responsibility of engineers in designing safe products. So that'll be fun, too. Uh, This has been Lou Covey with Crucial Tech. This has been a Footwasher Media production.